Okay, welcome back to Journalistic Integrity. My name is Robert Murphy, and today's episode is about last night's national championship game, as well as a couple thoughts on college basketball in general. Before we get to that, I wanted to lay out the next couple weeks and month for the podcast. So we hit a little bit of a, of a weird zone in sports coming up. Uh, so we've got the Masters at the end of this week, which I will be talking about. But we're kind of at the beginning of the MLB season. There's no football going on right in the middle of the uh, NBA season. But we do have a couple things this month that I'm really excited about. Number one is NFL Draft, end of April. And on Monday, I've got a special guest who is a quarterback coach. He works. He's worked with some of the, the best quarterbacks. He's worked with Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and he also works with some of the best quarterback coaches in the country, Quincy Avery and Jordan Palmer. So he's really knowledgeable about quarterbacks. We're going to talk to him about the quarterbacks coming out in the draft, some of the Justin Fields stuff that's been going on the past seven days. And so be on the lookout for that. That's going to be an awesome podcast. Next, we have the Jake Paul versus Ben Askren boxing match, April 17th. So I think that's in two Saturdays. And I'm going to have one of my friends from Los Angeles who's worked for PBC, worked in boxing for three, four years now, and really plugged in on boxing. And so he will be able to give us a lot of intel and what he's looking for out of Jake. What's the Askren's coming from MMA? Uh, is Jake Paul a real boxer now? I mean, he fought this guy named Gibb, who's terrible, and then Nate Robinson, out of this world athlete, but he didn't really know what he was doing in a boxing ring and knocked him out. So is this his first real test? And so how's he going to look? Um, so I th I'm really excited for that event. Some of the celebrity boxing is like bad, these these scrub YouTubers, but uh, Jake's legit. His brother's a legit boxer too. So they're a force to be reckoned with. So I think it's going to be a good fight. Uh, so we're going to have a guy named Justin on for that. So I'm excited for those. And we might start getting into some movies as well when it's dead in the sports world, uh, you know, in, in the summer or whatnot. We're going to do some movie episodes. If you ever watched the, or listened to the rewatchables uh, that Bill Simmons does, it'll be kind of similar to that, um, but hopefully we can make it a little bit different and make it our own. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll let you guys know what movie we're going to pick a week beforehand. So hopefully you can watch it and then listen to me and a guest talk about it for 30, 35 minutes. So I think that's it. That's the, enough house cleaning, if you will. So let's get right into the game. And Baylor blows them out 8670. I didn't see this coming. Nobody saw this coming. I mean, Gonzaga coming into it, by far the best team. They beat a lot of good teams early on in the season, out of conference. My prediction going into it, I wrote it down before the game, and to maintain my integrity, I'll let you guys know, I had 84-76 Gonzaga. So I was way off on who won and by how much. Here's, one, here's the thing you need to know, the, the most important thing about this game. I love ragging on Gonzaga just as much as everybody that can't win the big one, Mark Few, like what's going on? Timmy, he stinks. He's really annoying, very annoying. But the game Baylor played last night, they weren't losing to anybody in the country this year and from probably teams in the past three, five years. Nobody was going to beat them on that night. They played one of the best games I've seen in a long time, and it happened in the national championship game. I mean, the athleticism, they came in and throw, threw a haymaker after the tip-off. I mean, crazy athleticism. They're making these NBA three way back from the line. 
defensive pressure. I mean, Mitchell's all over Suggs. And then the one thing I was worried about, and the reason I picked Gonzaga, is Timmy's coming off a really good game. And I was like, you know, their strong suit is their their guards. What is their front court like? Because it didn't seem to me like Baylor had one of these centers that was a coordinated, quick, able to stay in front of a guy like Timmy, who's pretty crafty around the rim and a really good finisher. But I was way wrong. It was more of a, it wasn't like a guy that they had. It was an absolute team effort where they had a guy. I mean, they were playing on level one out of 10. They were playing at an 11. I mean, they were playing at a different speed than I've ever seen a team play. And Gonzaga was at like a seven. And I don't think Gonzaga played that bad. It's just Baylor, just unbelievable shot making. And it was Butler. And then Mitchell would hit some threes. And then Teague would go on this 7-0 run on his own. And they just knocked down a bunch of shots. It was like UCLA against Gonzaga. UCLA, the reason they were in that game was because they made all these really difficult shots. These shots that are probably like 32, 33% looks in college. They're hitting them at like a 50, 55% rate. And Baylor came down and they were getting better looks than UCLA did, but they were still, you know, making these, especially in the first half, these threes. I mean, these guys seemed unconscious. They didn't worry about dribbling down and, and taking a quick shot. They were all over it. Speed. I mean, Gonzaga looked rattled. Mark Few, even on the sideline, looked a little rattled, uncomfortable because they'd never been there before. Yeah, they had the game against UCLA. That was close. But Baylor played in the dang Big 12. Really good conference. Playing Kansas twice, Texas twice. All these teams, they've been there before in these close games. And Gonzaga simply hasn't. And it makes no sense to me why Gonzaga is still in their their conference, the, the WAC or whatever it is. It might be WEC, but they should be in the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever it is now. It makes no sense for a top five team year in, year out to be in, in such a bad conference from a competitive standpoint to a financial standpoint where all the money going into that conference is because of Gonzaga. And then they split it with nine, 11 other schools. So I think that needs to be tweaked. No one really has mentioned them changing conferences, but I think it should be a point of discussion. Back to the game. So in the first half, Baylor's hitting everything multiple punches to the mouth. Um, but so they get up 29-10, 10 minutes left. Suggs has a couple fouls. He's been on the bench, but it didn't even really seem like that mattered because Baylor was still doing what they want offensively and still able to, to contain Suggs as well. But late in the first half, Gonzaga started getting out in transition, getting a couple easy layups. Baylor missed a couple shots. Gonzaga hit a shot at the end of the first half. So all of a sudden, it's only a 47-37 game, only 10-point lead at the end of the first half. And so my thoughts after the, the first half was, is Baylor going to be able to hit all these you know deep threes, all these tough shots for 40 minutes? Wasn't sure about it. Baylor was also in a little bit of foul trouble. Some of their bigs had two, three fouls. But they came out in the second half and picked up right, right where they left off. Uh, just the, the defense that Mitchell had on Suggs. I mean, Mitchell is... Unbelievable. He reminds me so much, weirdly enough, of Donovan Mitchell from the Utah Jazz, who came from Louisville. I get it. They have the same last name, Mitchell, same number, 45. But their build is pretty similar. The way that, just the way that they they run and their games are extremely explosive. Uh, they like getting to the rim. And I mean, that Mitchell guy, I he was one of the more fun players I've seen. 
um, in the past few years. Obviously, Zion would be number one, but I mean, Mitchell, I'm trying to think if I've seen a more exciting guy than him this year, but he was amazing. His competitiveness, this whole team was a really likable team. Those three guards, Teague, Butler, Mitchell, really competitive. They play extremely, extremely hard, extremely hard. It was a lot of fun to watch. I'm happy that they won. It was an unbelievable game and a team effort across the board. I mean, Meyer came in and made some some good shots. Teague had his own 7-0 run, and, and Butler had, had a bunch of points. They really spread it out well, and it wasn't a one-man effort. It was just a really cool team, and they have three transfers. Uh, three out of their top seven players are transfers, so you're starting to see the trend in college basketball where less one and done. So we got the G League and overseas opening up more, paying more. So you can immediately, if you're a top five guy coming out of high school, you need money, you want money, your family needs to pay off um, their mortgage or something like that. You're probably going to go to the G League and uh, get at least a hundred grand or whatever. But what's substituting for that is transfers. So you can get, even if you don't have a great draft class, you can still get you know this really good player who averaged you know 21 points at Western Kentucky. And it turns out he was overlooked in high school and he got a lot better his freshman and sophomore year. And now he's a legit power five guy so that's the new thing that's opened is the transfer portal and it played out and and i mean just looking at this game here you've got an experienced team and a lot of people are saying hey this is going to take away from college basketball having all the best the zions uh the uh john morant's of the world going straight to the g league and disappearing basically because nobody watches a g league game you got jalen green this year, who is top prospect, could have gone anywhere. He's in the G League. Have you heard anything about him? Any like social media clips? No, you haven't. Um, and actually, Rich Paul, who's the friend and uh, agent of LeBron James, and he runs Clutch Sports, which is might be the biggest agency in the, the NBA right now. I think they're spreading out to a couple other sports too. But he was on Colin Coward's podcast, and he said something really interesting about the marketing of players and he was like, yeah, you can go to the G League and get some money and then go to the NBA. But you know what you can't put a price tag on is playing on CBS every Saturday afternoon and having millions of eyeballs on you and see you dominate, dunking, threes. And it creates a story about you. Like the story, we already we know Jalen Suggs now. We wouldn't have seen all the, the football highlights of him, how great of an athlete he is. He wouldn't have had that three-pointer against UCLA you wouldn't have that if you went straight to the G League. And so these guys that are going to school, there is a big, I feel like if you go to school, it's more of a long-term play. Like, hey, we're missing out on money at the front end, but people are going to have this story. People are going to relate. People are going to want his jersey when he comes out. And I think you make back that money and a lot more going into it. At the same time, you can't really blame somebody, especially if they're coming from a poor family grabbing the money, making sure their family's okay and all that. And it's certainly, you know, different. I think it's good that the G League's out there because these guys should be able to make money uh, outside of high school. So, but anyway, speaking of prospects going in the NBA, Kispert for Gonzaga, not good. I mean, his stats weren't terrible. He made some shots at the end that were not consequential to the final when it had already been decided. So he, he has 12 points, five of 12 shooting, two of seven from three. All the threes that he took that were meaningful, he missed. And a lot of them were open. And if you guys didn't know, he's a lottery pick. He's ranked ahead of Mitchell, 
Um, so I think Butler was the biggest, or it goes Suggs, Butler, Kispert, Mitchell in terms of NBA prospects in that game last night. Kispert wasn't good. He wasn't able to get past people. He was missing wide open threes. And he's one of those guys that'll have these stretches of six, seven, eight minutes where you forget he's on the court. And then you're like, oh, wait, this guy's a lottery pick and he hasn't done anything. He can't create his own shot. So I really got, I think he's got some bust potential. And yeah, he's got good size, six, seven. But in this, these biggest games and this championship game in the final four, he he had a couple of good drives in that final four game against UCLA. But in general, and you know, you can say, yeah, he's he's kind of the third option behind Suggs and Timmy, but I mean, when those guys are attracting extra defenders and you've got Kispert, a spot-up shooter, a guy that can cut, uh, you'd expect more out of him. He kind of reminds me of, of uh, this isn't a great comparison, but Cam Reddish at Duke. So there's R.J. Barrett and Zion. And then Cam Reddish would fade in and out of games, didn't have a good season. It seems like he's kind of pulling it together, the Hawks, uh, this year, shooting a little bit better, playing a little bit better defense. But he's another guy that had size. You see the potential. You see a lot of guys that look like him in the NBA. But for Kispert, I did not like what I saw at all. I think Mitchell really helped his draft stock. Teague did. Butler did. These guys were just cool, calm, collected. They were absolute killers. They did not step off the gas pedal because there are a couple instances where it's cut to 10 points, 9 points in the second half, and you're like, oh, gosh, is Butler going to get tight? And they didn't. They kept at it. And... I mean, the quickness of these guards, their their ability to get past any Gonzaga defender when they wanted to really opened up a bunch of shots, uh, some easy dunks for people down low. Um, so I think that's about all I wanted to say about the game. A couple interesting stats, offensive rebounding. Baylor had 16, Gonzaga had five, and it was from the very first possession. Baylor won the tip, missed the shot, and got an offensive rebound. And that kind of set the... Uh, the trend for what it was going to be like the rest of the game. Another interesting stat, Gonzaga shot 51% from the field, which is really good. And also 6% better than what Baylor shot from the field at 45%. So they, they had a better shooting percentage than Baylor, but because of the offense rebounds, the turnovers points off of turnovers, Baylor took 67 shots to Gonzaga's 49. So that's an 18 shot difference. So that wipes away the uh, efficiency numbers. And Baylor also made double the amount of threes, 10 to 5. So, I mean, in general, those stats tell a little bit of the story. But the main story was nobody was beating Butler or Baylor that night. A lot of talented guys, a lot of guys that knew their role. Guys like Meyer and Teague, they know when to take their shots. There's no, like, I mean, when you got so many good guards and ball handlers, it's kind of like, hey, you, there's only one ball. You don't want a guy just dribbling the, the crap out of the ball. But they continued to move the ball really well. They seemed like they loved playing with each other. This is one of the more exciting teams to watch. It was a lot of fun. Um, Mitchell was one of the most exciting players I saw this year. Just the tenacity on defense. I mean, people couldn't get past him. People could not get past him. He's, you know, he's, he's like a running back out there, just extremely physical. Uh, so that was a lot of fun to watch. But yeah, I mean, in the end, um, tough one for Mark Few. I remember in 2008, he was one of the candidates to get the Virginia job. And I think I was pulling for him. I think I wanted him. I was also high on Tubby Smith, which turns out to be a pretty cold take. But obviously glad we got Tony Bennett. 
Um, but Mark Few still hasn't gotten that win. So he, he made it, uh, was it 2018, 2017 against North Carolina? And they lost that one. And they lose again in the finals to Baylor, 86 to 70. Congrats to Baylor. That was a cool team. I'm glad they seem. Congrats to Baylor. Fun team. Happy for Scott Drew, who's been there for 18 years. I love when coaches stay at one school and kind of develop their their culture and all that stuff. We saw that with, I guess, Roy Williams wasn't wasn't one of those, but so congrats to Baylor. Awesome team, awesome players, really talented. One of the best performances I've seen in college basketball. And congrats to Scott Drew. Got there in 2003, 18 years until he got that first championship game. They've been knocking at the door. Both of these teams had few and Drew, but Baylor was too much last night. And Scott Drew gets his first ring. I, I love when coaches stay at one spot. It's develop a culture and identity. And I think it's just good for college basketball. So that's it for the podcast. Be on the lookout for some Masters podcast uh, coming later this week. And as I mentioned on Monday night, Tuesday morning, we'll be releasing a quarterback NFL draft podcast with Aaron Campbell, a quarterback guru, worked with some of the best quarterbacks out there, as well as uh, I'm going to do an NBA. Also, I'm going to do an NBA podcast where it's going to be 15 minutes. I know we'll have not been watching NBA, so I'm going to do 15 minutes, everything you know, need to know about the NBA season up to date. So you can just listen to 15 minutes and feel like you're completely up to date on everything NBA. So I'm excited about that because it's time to get into some NBA basketball. Let's get into the halfway point, and playoffs are a lot of fun. So, also do some baseball coming up, but not too much baseball because I know baseball's boring, and they've got to shorten the season. I think 120 games, and, and yeah, it's like the record books. But come on, at some point you have to draw the line and say, like, hey, new generations are not liking baseball. The star players. So you got the star player in basketball, like LeBron James. He's on the court 38 out of 48 minutes. Tom Brady, star player in football, any star player, they're on the field for 50% of the game. Mike Trout only has four at-bats in a nine-inning game. And that's part of the reason why baseball is not taking off is, yeah, you're not marketing the star athletes, but by mechanics of the game, don't allow for the star players to be front and center for a very long time. So that's it for the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Apparently, that helps push it out to more people. So thank you everybody for listening and I'll talk to you guys later this week.